If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, you can find that on page 939. Be reading verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. I know maybe you have wondered, and I was encouraged this past week from a brother in Christ, um, how long will we be in Romans? A very long time. And I definitely do not want to rush through this highly important book. Um, So Romans 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. As Brian did an amazing job picking out the songs for this week, It is very fitting for us to sing about that God has a special love for his bride. The words of Martin Lloyd-Jones are outstanding. We are Christians for one reason and one reason only. And that is that God has set his love upon us. He went on to say, don't rush to sanctification in chapters 6 through 8 of Romans. He says, my dear friend, if you only realized as you should that you are loved by God as he loved his own son, you would learn the most important thing with respect to your sanctification without going any further. And this is what our focus is this morning. The Lord has called us to himself while we were his enemy. The Lord has cleansed us of all of our sin with the righteousness of his son that he has set us apart as his children to know him, to enjoy him, and to glorify him, that he has brought us into his family, his kingdom that will never fade, and that he has given us the knowledge of himself and the ability for us as his children to please him. He has also gifted us with spiritual gifts for his name's sake among the nations, He has forever changed our eternal location, securing us, holding on to us, and never letting us go. We, his children, are forever his. And he has commanded us to protect and to proclaim his gospel, which is the gospel of his son. Oh, the great love that God has for his bride. Paul is writing This letter, he is writing to the church in Rome, to a group of men and women whom he has never met, Jews and Gentiles who are saved, to instruct them in true righteousness. 
Now, true righteousness is individually needed by all of mankind. True and personal righteousness. The fact that the faith of your parents cannot save you. That the faith of your church will not save you. The faith of your friends cannot justify you before a holy God. You must have personal faith in Christ alone. You, yourself, you need a personal faith. Because Christ will return. He will come and He will judge the living as well as the dead. You, you will stand before Him one day. You, you will give an account of your life before the Lord. And without the righteousness of the Son of God, you will be found guilty in your sin without a Savior, and you will be condemned and suffer for all of eternity. This is truth. Jesus declared in Matthew 25 that the cursed will depart from him and enter eternal fire. The cursed are those who were never born again. Paul is concerned for these Christians in Rome. He loves them and he wants them to understand the most important thing that one can know, and that is true righteousness. Therefore, Paul concerns his letter with setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. God's gospel. He wants the church in the largest city in the world to not stray and accept the many gods and the many ways of salvation that surround them. We are in that same city today. Many people believe there are many ways, there are many religions, they all lead to the same place. That is not true. He wants them to stand on the solid foundation, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And without the righteousness of Christ, there is no foundation in which one is standing on that will last. And this is what I desire for each of you. As a father, I desire this for all of my children. As a pastor, I desire this for your soul. I want you to know as Paul has written in chapter 1, that you are a slave of Jesus Christ, that you have been purchased by Him, that you have been called by Christ, that He has called you to Himself, that you have been set apart by Christ for the gospel of God, the gospel of His Son. Last week in verses 2-4, through we learned that God does not change and react to things like we do. Amen. He is in heaven, and He does as He pleases, and He does as He pleases for His glory. There is a reason. It's His glory. And specifically concerning the gospel, the gospel of God was promised and planned by God Himself. The righteousness of Christ was not an afterthought, but a planned righteousness. So Christ coming to this earth, the pre-existent Son putting on flesh, was planned before the foundation of the world, before sin entered the world, and before Genesis 3, verse 15. The Old Testament prophets spoke of him. Christ was of the seed of David, and Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God, He is the promised Messiah, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this foundational truth is what Paul concerns himself with. 
And this is what he wants the Christians in Rome to be concerned with. The righteousness of Christ. And as Christians today, hundreds of years later, we as well must be concerned with the righteousness of Christ. This epistle is of supreme importance. The greatest letter ever written. This letter deserves our great attention, and we dare not skim over it with haste. Romans 1, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it is only through Christ that one has received grace and apostleship. We remind again that the gospel of God is the gospel of his Son. Now, grace is a word that is often used and yet rarely defined. I remember teaching a baptism class over and over and over again with you little children. And I would always ask, okay, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And many of the children would have it memorized. And I would ask the question, well, what is grace? What is faith? Grace, simply put, is getting what you don't deserve. The unearned or unmerited favor of God. So when referring to salvation, grace is a special loving act of God drawing a person by faith to God the Son. I love this definition. Grace is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindness, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. In other words, grace is definitely not alone, and it brings us about in our walk with the Lord. Donald Barnhouse declared, love that gives upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops, that's grace. That God in His holiness does not send love across a flat horizon to us, His love flows downward to the lowest depths, to the wretched, to our depraved evil state, a state in which we were born in with God's just wrath abiding on us. That it is only by the work of Christ that salvation is possible, and it is only through Christ that his children have received grace. You see, to the table of salvation, we as human beings, we bring nothing and we contribute nothing. Salvation is grace alone. We have not only received grace, it says, Paul says we have also received apostleship. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. By apostleship, Paul is declaring that we have received grace through Christ and by the authority of Christ as the Son of God, we have also been sent. Paul is using the general term for apostleship here, referring to all believers. That all believers have been sent by the one who has all authority, 
God. So the Word of God saves, and the Word of God sins. So we are saved and we are sent. But why and where? Verse 5. It says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So in the words of R.C. Sproul, every Christian is called out of the world, out of bondage, out of death, and out of sin, and into Christ and into His body. Paul is not the only one who has been called. He says, all who are truly part of the church have been called out, separated by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have been called out of the world into Christ, into His body. So grace has been given by Christ into salvation, which is Christ Himself. And we have been sent by Christ as His children for the purpose of bringing about the obedience of faith. This is the why. Why has all this happened? The obedience of faith. Faith is another word used often within the vocabulary of Christians and rarely defined. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1, which we read earlier today. Faith includes intellectual belief that Jesus is who the Scriptures say that He is. And the Scriptures that are God-breathed say that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, Jesus also declared, we find in Scripture, who shall I say that I am? And He says, I am has sent me. The Scriptures declare that Jesus is the only Savior of the world by which we must be saved or we are not saved because Jesus is the only true righteousness. Now, believers believe this. Believers also hold on to this, and their trust is in Him for salvation because believers continue to turn away from their sin not once, but continually. How important that is. We don't say, I had a day in which I repented of my sin. No. Believers say, I have, day, have a day, and that day is every day in which I repent of my sins. We turn away from our sins continually, and we remain faithful to rely upon Christ alone for our justification. That those who have been saved by faith alone, that faith is never alone. They have been purchased by Christ. They have been called by Christ. And this includes a life of service lived for Christ. So what does this service look like? What does this service do? The end of verse 5 is the answer. The verse tells us the where. The obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. So true faith saving faith in Christ, who is the only righteousness, will bring about obedient living. Faith is never alone. The gift of faith does not sit upon the soul and collect dust. It gets to work for the glory of God. Faith is never alone. This comes from Martin Luther. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So let's take a look at James chapter 2. Turn with me there. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. It is here that we learn about the relationship between faith and works. And we need to listen extremely well here. 
because there are many individuals, many so-called Christians, many churches who will use this and twist it to fit how they want it to fit their theology. So let's be very careful because we have to acknowledge here that Paul and James are not fighting a different battle. They're fighting a same battle, but they're writing to different people. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So faith without works is dead. Faith alone saves, but that faith is never alone. Those who have been saved by faith, they will obey the Lord because God's going to bring that person about to do that. James is not teaching that works are needed for our salvation, but his audience needed to know that true faith, true faith in the righteousness of Christ, that will produce works because that faith brings about Works. Ephesians 2 is extremely clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of your own doing. Why? Because it's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. If we say that our salvation is based on anything involved with our works, you and I have something to boast about before the Lord. But we don't. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith in Christ always brings about obedience. In the words of John MacArthur, true faith is verified in obedience. That's why in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you have examinations. It's like if you want to examine yourself, here you go. Here's some great questions. Look at your life. Are you still believing? Are you still repenting? Are you still confessing? Are you still meeting with the church? Are you still loving your brother and sister? If you're still doing these things, you can have hope of your salvation because Christ is doing this in you because it was a gift from him. So if you are here today and you declare with your lips that I have faith in Christ, but your life is a continual pattern of disobedience 
ignoring God's good commands and a, a continual pattern of embracing sin, ignoring the Word of God, Scripture says, what good is your faith? If you love Jesus, obey Him. Luke 6 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't obey the Lord to earn salvation. We obey the Lord because this is what our grace-given faith produces. Out of the faith that has been given to us, we obey. We obey Jesus because we love him. We obey Jesus for the sake of his name among all the nations. So we are called to salvation and we are called to obedience. Faith is never alone. Verse 5 of Romans 1. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So the gospel of God is God's gospel. The gospel of God is the gospel of his son. And the gospel of God is all about his name. Now, if we remember those three items right there, that the gospel of God is God's gospel, the gospel of God is about the gospel of the Son, the gospel of God is about His name, you've just eliminated so many conversations, so many sermons, so many churches, and so many pastors. Because it's not about the Lord. If we are called and we belong to Christ, the faith that we have been given will produce obedience to His Word. We do not sit back and say, I will obey the Lord. We sit back, we look at His Word, and we go and obey the Word. If we are called and we belong to Christ, we will live for the sake of His name. So dear Christian, please hear this. For I love you. Living for the sake of Jesus Christ is all-inclusive. You must not just say amen while you're in church. You must say amen when you're driving. Amen as you are living your life. Amen with your job. It's all-inclusive. We are to live for Christ in all. In every area. We are created for this, and He is worthy of it all the time. For His name we live or we are not living. We are as if we are dead zombies walking around. We are to live for Him. We have been set free from the law of sin and death to live for Him, not to soak in sin. We have been set free from the law of sin and death to live for Him. For His name, we glorify Him as His child. For His name in our family. For His name in our marriage. For his name in all of our relationships. For his name when we get online. For his name in our job. For his name in this church. For his name in our serving. For his name in our giving. We don't declare to the Lord, this is mine. No, it's all his and we live for him all the time. For his name not just here, but his name also among all the nations. 
You see, the gospel of God is God's gospel. The gospel of God is the gospel of His Son. And the gospel of God is about His name among all the nations. The glory of His name among all the nations. The Lord has elected that His kingdom include every tribe, tongue, language, and people. So the Lord's everlasting kingdom will house souls from every nation, tribe, peoples, and language. If you want a picture that causes you to pause and think and to give praise to the Lord, Revelation 7 is it. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, Paul's words to the church in Rome informed them that God's gospel was not just for them. That God's gospel is not just for you, dear saint. If you have assurance of your salvation, you have been called by God and set apart for God. So by God's grace, you have been purchased and set apart for the gospel of God. And this includes bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. I've entered into conversation after conversation with men and women who say, I don't feel called to go. The scope of the gospel is the whole world. All nations and all peoples. God's gospel is for everyone. Therefore, we are to know it and we are to take it. Now, getting back to Romans 1, verse 6, this verse, I don't know how else to describe it except dynamite. I'm sorry for the word, but verse 6 is dynamite. It's all I could come up with. It says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles, but here in this verse, he is pointing to the Gentiles with the words, including you. Hey, including you, Gentiles. I know Jesus came for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, but you need to listen and pay attention. This is for you, all who belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ. Gentile Christians as well. You are to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Therefore, no one is exempt. You go or you hold the rope for others to go. You are to be involved where you are, and you are to be involved somehow in reaching the nations. We are involved in the building of his church here, and we are to be involved in the building of his church among the nations. For, why is this true? For we have been called. In the first six verses of Romans 1, Paul uses the word called three times, and there's a reason. We are to remember that we have been called to Christ. God has summoned us if we have been called to believe. This is referring to the effectual call. To summarize, it is the convincing and the converting of a soul which God produces what he desires. John MacArthur summarized it this way. The effectual call is given by God only to the elect. 
By it, he speaks to the soul, he grants saving faith, and he ushers elect sinners into salvation, that all who receive it respond in faith. Now here at this church, for teaching distinctives, we use the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. This is what this says concerning the effectual call. In God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit those he has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone. He gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills. And by his almighty power, he turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet, he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. Goes on to say, this effectual call flows from God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in those called, neither does the call arise from any power or action on their part. They are totally passive in it. They are dead in sins and trespasses until they are made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. By this, they are enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. This response is enabled by a power that is no less than that which raised Christ from the dead. This described exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. Paul was totally passive. It was all of grace. It was all of the calling of God. And if you have experienced the new birth, this is exactly what has happened to you. Romans 8 informs us of this. It sheds more light on this important word, called. It says, and we know that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here it is. Here's a kicker. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So those who are predestined, those who are called, They are justified and they will be glorified. So if called, we are to be involved in bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. When we understand this and soak in this truth, it is overwhelming because God's love is overwhelming in this. He's saying, I had nothing to do with my salvation. I was an enemy of God. I was persecuting the Lord. I was persecuting the church. And then all of a sudden, God confronted my sin, and it was all of him. Verse 7 of Romans 1. To all those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, those are the holy ones. Those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He says, grace to you. 
Those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, peace to you. Peace. That is a fruit of grace upon the life of the believer. This grace and this peace, it comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who has called us. This closing introduction, it is what Paul will speak about chapter after chapter after chapter. The great love of God. If you've started memorizing Romans 5, great job. That's what we're memorizing together as a church. Romans 5. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the great love of God, he set his love on us, and he redeemed us. The unfolding of grace that comes from the Father and the Son. The amazing peace that comes from knowing the Lord and being his child. You see, the love of God, the grace of God, and the peace of God, that is what we need. For these satisfy our weary souls, and they allow our soul to rest in him, for he has called us. The love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God. This is what Paul is speaking about the rest of this letter. Christ saves us and he allows us to enjoy him. It's astounding when you think about it. It's not just that we've been freed from our bondage because of what Christ has done. We've been freed from our bondage and we're also free to enjoy him. We're free to just rest in his great presence and to realize that we have peace with God, that we have purpose in God, that we have mercy in God, that we have a great love that will never turn its back on us. As we will continue to turn our backs on the Lord, the love of God is a constant. That Christ saves us and he allows us to enjoy him because we have the love of God, the grace of God, and the peace of God that is given. That true righteousness is righteousness found in the Son of God. And from Christ, who called us from Christ, flows love, grace, and peace, and it's a continual flow. So to the called in this room, you are His. To the called in this room, you are His. When you sinned this past week, when you sinned today, when you sinned this morning, you're His. You're still His. He has purchased you. He has called you. Are you bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name with your life? Because you're His. This is the goal of the gospel. You glorify Him so you bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name in your life. Are you bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations? Obedience comes from faith. You fully belong to Christ and you are to be fully involved in His name being worshipped among all the nations. 
So election and proclamation, they go hand in hand. So we are to glorify Him, saint. We are to tell of Him. So for the believer and the unbeliever today, what is your response to the gospel? Have you and are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Call on Him. Go to Christ and be forgiven. Go to Christ and find rest for your soul. As a Christian, you recognize when your soul is weary. You recognize when your life is restless, when you're waging war against your sin. When we hear from God's word that Jesus Christ alone is our righteousness, go and bathe in him. Spend time in him. Soak in the fact Find grace, find peace, find the love of God overflowing by resting in Christ. And if you're lost this morning and you think you can clean yourself up, I will clean myself and then I will run to Christ. No, you run to Christ. Christ cleans you up. He washes away all your sins. Go to Christ and find forgiveness. Go to Christ and find rest for your weary soul. Because if Christ is not your righteousness, you are as filthy rags before the Lord. And when you are as filthy rags before the Lord, that is a scary place to be. Because you are not promised the rest of today. You are not promised tomorrow. You have no idea when the return of Christ is going to happen. You need to be cleaned. Go to Christ. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you so much for Romans, Lord. Being called to you, being called for you, being called for your name. What a great privilege, what a great joy, what a great love, what a great peace. But we have all failed this week. We have failed today. We have lived as if we have been called for self. We have lived as if we have been called to do whatever we want to do. And we have forsaken you in every area. But we know as your children there is forgiveness found in your son. For your son is true righteousness. Father, for the souls in this room that are lost, Father, we beg you to awaken them. No matter their physical age, Lord, draw them to you. Cause it in them to have a heart of flesh in which only you can produce. Lord, and as your elect, as your called, may we be about bringing about the obedience of faith here where we are in our homes, in this church, in our life, in our every area. Father, 
And may we also be involved in bringing about the obedience of faith for your sake among the nations. For you have elected from every tribe, tongue, language, and people a soul to be in your kingdom for all of eternity. How gracious and loving you are. How unworthy we are. But what you have called us to, may we remain faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Lord, help us. We are weak and we are wounded and and we are suffering in our sin. For the sake of your name, Lord, may we live. For the sake of your name, may you use us to bring about the obedience of faith for your glory among the nations. Lord, but that starts in our home. That starts here. That starts where we are. It starts today. That we don't think about us today, we think about you. Father, would you be gracious and bring that about? Would you be gracious this year and allow many around us whom we know and whom we love and whom we are praying for, would you allow us to see their salvation? Would you allow us to be involved for the sake of your name? Well, we pray this in the name of Christ, our true righteousness. Amen.